We have a big rebrand, some information on the Pioneer, and a lot of hirings to go over on this week's episode of the Indie Bar Report Podcast. Back again, episode number 209 of the Indie Bar Report Podcast. I'm Nick Well, and we have a surprisingly large amount of hirings for the very beginning of March. And we got the Pioneer League that we're talking about, which, you know, always is a good sign. And then uh, we got a rebrand that I don't think any of us really expected nor asked for. So a lot of stuff going on. Yeah, a lot of stuff going on. And uh, a rebrand that nobody asked for, I think, is a good way to put it, I would say. Yeah, I, I would certainly say so. And uh, obviously, this rebrand got a lot of discussion and whatnot. And I guess we could just kind of jump headlong into this week, get it really going here. And that rebrand that we've been mentioning uh, came about on Monday with the Lexington Legends, or now formerly Lexington Legends, I suppose. We were kind of teased some sort of announcement at the very beginning of the week on March the 6th. No one really knew what it was going to be. And then, bam, rebrand. Uh, the Legends are now the Lexington Counter Clocks. Uh, this is supposed to pay homage to the horse racing tradition of the state of Kentucky. Uh, as horses race counterclockwise. It's, uh, you know, not the kind of thing that you would know if you're not a horse racing fan. But then again, um, you want something that connects to the, I guess, local culture. And Lexington, I believe being the state capital of Kentucky, it kind of fits that you pick something that your state is known for. Uh, of course, horse racing is that for Kentucky as a whole. They're going to bring in some new mascots and whatnot. Uh, Haas, who is essentially a jockey, and then Dinger, which, if I have this right, is a clock with a bat that looks a lot like the dum-dum lollipop guy. So... You can make of that what you will. Obviously, we'll get into the reception from uh, the greater fan base and what we think of everything. But before we do all that, what's kind of the initial reaction to this rebrand from you, Will? Um, yeah, not not really a lot of positives. I'll start by saying this, Nick: with a new ownership group, and you wanted to like make a new a new brand going into any ball. I'm right with that, right? I'm totally, yeah. I'm totally fine with that. Uh, I was fine if they wanted to keep the Lexington Legends. I understood the reasons for them doing that at the time to show fans like, hey, like, even though we're not affiliated, we're still the Legends. Like, we're doing literally all the same things, just in a just in a different league. I, I'm fine with if they wanted to rebrand. I just think this was very poorly executed. Hmm. I think that. The, I like them trying to go, trying to use the horse racing culture. Mm-hmm. Um, however, if, like, I, I totally understand if you wanted to, if you wanted to play off the horse racing history and the culture of, uh, in Kentucky, that's all right with me. I don't know how, it's just a very, what's, what's the best way I can say this? It's a very weird detail to pick out of horse racing. Like, horse racing is a huge genre. And you could pick a lot of things from that. But out of all of that, 
out of all the things you could possibly, I don't know, the 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 thoroughbreds or, or some something like that. Everyone's like, yeah, that that means that that's talking about horse racing. That's trying to honor the culture. You don't want to make fans think. Not even just in Lexington, but just like everywhere. You don't want to make fans like really think about like, wow, how does this connect to your local community? Because then you did out of all of the details of horse racing you could possibly pick, you picked the fact that they race counterclockwise. Okay. Yeah. Like that is a quite odd detail for you to emphasize and build your whole team around. And then you kind of just expect people to just get it. Mm. I don't think it's a good idea whenever you rebrand and it doesn't even have to be baseball, but anything yeah. you don't want people to have to think like, like in depth about, wow, why did like, what is the significance behind this? Like, good to be honest with you, like, if I didn't read any of that and it was just like counterclocks, I would have no idea that had anything to do with horses. No, no idea whatsoever. I think the logo itself isn't very good. Uh, honestly, I think it looked like it was made through clip art. Yeah. And I don't know. It was just, it's just poorly executed. I, I understand that the... I won't say a total need for a rebrand because I I don't think there was an explicit need for one, but I understand if they wanted to do one just because of the new ownership group and maybe more of a long-term thing. Uh, but just if you're going to play off horse racing, which is fine, the, the very odd detail you chose to build a brand around is the fact that they race counterclockwise. I just, it's very confusing, ridiculous, and poorly executed in my view. Yeah. See, on one hand, I do appreciate them going with something a little out of the box here. Like, yeah, you mentioned they could have went with like a thoroughbreds or a Mustang, something like that. But that is admittedly right. a, a bit generic. You know, I mean, it's not in terribly creative. And especially with more modern names in independent ball and just minor league sports in general, you want it to be more fun. You want it to be more kind of out there. You want to kind of be more unique and stand outish. I get it. You want to differentiate your brand from other brands in the area. Because, I mean, using like thoroughbreds, Mustangs, Stallions, you know, that that does make it sound a lot like kind of a high school team. Like, if you were to tell me it was like the Lexington County Stallions taking on the uh, Capital High Thoroughbreds, I'd be like, yeah, that's probably a high school matchup. I could buy that. You know, and it's not like it's a billing situation where you've had Mustangs for quite some time now and it's already established there. You know, that's a bit of a different setup here. Also, I mean, like, we're talking market sizes here. Lexington has better odds of supporting, you know, some level of a professional team outside of the minor league baseball team. Billings just doesn't, you know, that's just a scaling difference, but that's neither here nor there. Back to the counterclockwise rebrand. So I don't mind going with something like that. I don't mind, you know, saying, all right, let's go ahead and pick an aspect of horse racing because it was always going to have to come down to that uh, because that's that's the big kind of bread and butter cultural thing of Kentucky. It'd be like going with New Jersey and taking kind of either a shore element to it, playing on kind of like the whole Jersey attitude type of thing, 
you know, something like that would be the obvious one for New Jersey in exchange horse racing is for Kentucky. So I don't mind counter clocks. Uh, I do kind of think it's growing on me a little bit. I still don't exactly love the brand. You know, I can't tell if that's just a, you know, it's going to grow on me over time type of thing. Um, but that said, I don't mind them getting a little out there with it. I suppose they could have said something like, uh, they could have went with like, say, the Lucky Shoes or something like that. Although that may already be the name of a uh, summer college team. I don't recall, but you probably could have done something along those lines. Where my issue with the rebrand kind of is, is also with the logos, because I think I mentioned this to you when it first came out. I was like, these things look like they should be on like a throwback uniform, like a retro uniform. Uh, in case you haven't seen the logos, link in show notes, you guys already know that. But uh, it's essentially a jockey on a horse backwards, because, you know, counterclockwise, everything's going to be in reverse. The uh, dumb dumb dude with the the bat, and then the main logo is a reverse C that says counterclockwise. Again, it's put in the reverse, so it's not essentially mirrored version of how a regular C and counterclockwise would be inverted. There you go. Uh, all the play on the counter counterclockwise brand, which again, kind of cute, kind of keeps on, you know. I guess kind of keeps with the theme of everything. That said, it also is kind of annoying. It looks kind of awkward. It's not exactly great. And these all look like the kind of logo and branding that, like you said, it's kind of clip art. Like, it is very generic. It is very, you know, it'd be fine if you're like, okay, well, we're going to do, like, throwback Thursday for whenever we have a home game. It's like, I don't know, 15 home games a year we're going to play on Thursday night so something like that I would love that I think you could do a lot with it it just felt like you need to kind of have a better design and it feels like it was done in-house they didn't hire anybody to do it it just feels very generic uh like that as far as the reasoning behind it I kind of heard that you know the legends brand around town isn't so good Apparently, past ownership didn't leave great, uh, great connections with businesses and, and sponsorships in the community. So I really do get the sense that this is just like, even if more could have been done about this, they want to get that kind of dividing line up as soon as humanly possible. And if that's the case, then it just feels like kind of a desperate attempt to repair a relationship. And it, this isn't my, what's going to fix it, you know, uh, obviously if you're in the business community in Lexington or the greater Lexington area, the rebrand isn't going to change your mind. You're probably already aware that uh, Nate Lyons owns this team instead of Andy Shea. You're probably very much aware of that. And if you had a problem with the way that Shea ran the team or, you know, you had negative experiences dealing with the team in the past few years, you know, a rebrand isn't really going to fix that. And you look at the kind of the reaction from both online and in community, it's extremely mixed. Some people like the brand, but don't like the logo. Other people like both the logo and the brand. Some people hate both. You know, it's a really mixed thing. And so 
when you look at it like that, it, it's hard to say like, oh, well, now that the brand's here, I'm I'm willing to do business with an organization I had a negative experience with in the past 18 months and roll the dice again when it's like, well, nothing else has meaningfully changed outside of the ownership deal. And people are going to tend to cling to those negative experiences, especially if you're the kind of business that's going to be looking to get a ballpark sponsorship or something like that. You know, you're, you don't have enough money to be wrong twice. So why would you roll the dice on it again when last year when you did the whole baseball thing, it didn't quite go your way. So that that's kind of my viewpoint on it. Yeah, I think that, again, I think the you make a good point about the Legends brand around town not exactly being in, in the best graces. Um, and, you know, I, I think there's a lot of, I, I think you can, I don't think you can blame them. Um, yeah. because, because it's a way that, the way that last season, uh, really went and especially with the new ownership group coming in, you want to kind of differentiate yourself. I, I just think that it was, it was poorly executed and confusing. And I think we're both in agreement that the logo, um, for a full team brand for a long-term team brand is not good enough. Uh, it's, it's, yeah. it's not good enough for what it for what a a team's branding long term at this level of baseball should be, and that and that's that's the disappointing um, aspect of it. So I, I don't know. I'm I'm interested to see how like jerseys look, but I mm. just I, at first glance, I think the rebrand is confusing. And and the other thing is is uh, I mean, did they do these like did, did they? Do they have like fans put in suggestions? Like if they did, I didn't hear about it. Yeah, no, it just felt like it was kind of done overnight. You know, it felt like they, and I do wonder how those virtual town halls went that they held, you know, back in December yeah. and late 2022, because, you know, if they got that kind of sense that there really isn't a positive reception or any sort of real connection to the legends brand, then yeah, go ahead and redo everything. If they got a sense for what direction it should be taken, and then you know this isn't a terrible outlook, but at the same time, it's like you know it could have been done better, at least in yeah. my view. Yeah, agreed. We have a couple other things left just to say on this before we move on elsewhere. There actually is currently a change.com petition, which may be the most useless thing on the internet, but you know it's always great to see uh, kind of a, a reading of the wind in a sense. Uh, to change the name back to the Lexington Legends. And at least when I was doing the notes for this last night at about 12 o'clock at night, uh, so about 10, 12 hours ago from when we're recording this, there was about 1,575 signatures on that change.com. Yeah, so, I mean, like... Yeah, they want uh, about 2,500. So, you know, they got about, what's that, about 60, 65% of their goal. In about uh, in about two or three days, so not uh, not a bad job by them, certainly there. And of course, there was never a formal reason announced for the rebrand. We're all just kind of getting the sense that okay, it's kind of based off of the previous ownership and whatnot here. Uh, I just want to go over quickly the the post I made when this came out because, well, 
I spent a long time typing it out because it's about an eight tweet rant. So I'm just going to kind of read through that. If you're following on Twitter at IndieBallPod, then you've probably already seen the rant. But, you know, I get the sense that everybody does. So I'll just read it out real quick. We'll go over any points I made and then we'll move on to some other news that we have to get to today. Uh, <clears throat> so I was saying that I understand that the reputation around Lexington was not what the legends hoped for or needed. And I'll defer to anyone that knows more about the situation than I, but it feels like the rebrand was a mix of unnecessary slash desperation to repair it. Anyone in the community that didn't want to do business with them before isn't going to change their mind because of this. For them, it's lipstick on a pig. It's the organization slash organization's past that's their beef, not the brand. Yes, it's more of a visual way of standing apart from past ownership, but that seems a minor part to fixing the problem. The business community will not be moved by this unless you have genuine knowledge that the fans associate that brand, meaning the Legends brand, with dysfunction and hold a negative opinion towards it and that it's keeping them away. Even then, I question if people are going to realize new brand equals new owner or if they'll even care. A lot of people aren't moved by that and cling to negative experiences slash stories as guiding lights. Again, I'm not in Lexington, so maybe this is more needed than I realize, but judging by the sentiment on, online, which admittedly is a small vocal uh, sample size, it seems very mixed to the, to the rebrand. Maybe that's just fans disliking something new, or the new brand isn't what they wanted, but not something uncommon. But that seems to be what they think of it. Although it is kind of funny they went counterclocks, I guess they wanted to turn back the clocks to the good old days when the brands were stronger. As far as the brand's concerned, I'm fine with it. I just kind of went on with the whole, it looks like something out of 1975. It looks like a throwback and the whole clock looking like the lollipop dude. Uh, <clears throat> in summary, it feels like desperation to change the brand uh, that had a rough stretch of recent. To make it work require making it abundantly clear that Nate Lyons owns this team. He's new and different from the last guy. I just don't know what can work. Essentially, the summary of all of that and that whole rant was pretty much what I've just been saying, where it feels like it's a desperation play, and if it's more of an appeal to make yourself stand apart from previous ownership, the important people are straight up not going to be moved by this, and the common people probably aren't going to love it because they have an association with the Legends brand, which they clearly didn't have a problem with last year if they kept going to the ballpark. But the one other point before I, I toss it back to you, Will, that I'm going to kind of bring up that I wanted to talk a little bit about was that do people really know there's new ownership? And are they going to really understand that this rebrand is new ownership? Because I'm sure there's a decent amount of people in Lexington that kind of half follow the news, didn't really keep up with like the actual boots on the ground reality behind the scenes of, you know, Lexington last year essentially dismantling their whole front office essentially getting rid of all their baseball ops guys and then having the various other incidents we've seen you know with the shooting at the ballpark and everything like that you know i'm sure there's some people that saw the shooting news because you know they watch the regular five o'clock news and that's one of the few things they know about the situation. They didn't realize they were sold. They missed that somewhere. And now they kind of are like, oh, look, they're changing the brand to disassociate themselves with all that. Like, it's going to work. You know, if people don't realize that there's new ownership in, I could very well see them just going, oh, wow, look, they're trying to shed all that stuff from last year with this. Or maybe they just don't even care. So that that's the one question I have to ask. 
Yeah, I, I don't know if there's I don't know if there's an easy answer to it. Um, it's just it's just a matter of why was this needed? And again, I don't I don't I'm not an expert on the situation as far as what's going on in, in Lexington um, to know to know for sure. But I, I do know that it just it was poorly it was poorly executed. And you're right, Nick, because at the end of the day, the important people that you have to win back is the fans. And I don't know that. Uh, that the rebrand and, and clearly the fans are not like I, I can't I, you don't want to speak for every single fan because I'm sure there are fans out there that like this and yeah I'm sure there's people on social media who have said that they like this there's a lot there's a lot who don't and um, at the very least you see a pretty common denominator when it comes to uh, independent league teams and rebranding or naming teams maybe that are just starting. They have a name the team contest. They have people put in stuff. Uh, they have a vote. Uh, and that's not necessarily to say that they will 100% do what is voted on, but there's a pretty clear consensus. That's generally what, what they're going to roll with. So, and uh, just to try and get involved with people, because at the end of the day, the fans are the only ones that keep independent league baseball organizations and teams going. They are the, the sole revenue stream and that teams absolutely need. And especially when the relationship is clearly not as great as it could be, short should be, was, however you want to say it, um, I'm just I'm just surprised there was not a public, uh, hey, we're rebranding. Let's, you know, let let's yeah, more uh, community input to it. The more more community input, and I know in their in their press release they said that. We did like listening sessions, surveys, one-on-one conversations. I don't really know what that means. What the hell is? I don't know what listen. I don't know what kind of. They, I think they intentionally vague phrasing there. You could say, um, and I don't know what ha- I don't know what was going on behind closed doors. But I feel like if if you're trying to win back the fans, you should impact. You should involve the fans in a much bigger way uh, than kind of just saying. Where the counterclocks now? I I don't know. It just it just was not executed well, and I think that there's uh, the fact that, and not to say that the the petition is going to change the minds of the of the lion of of Nathan Lyons or whatever, but uh, I think it does show that I mean, hey, all over fifteen hundred people are pissed off enough about this to uh, to to sign a petition and create an account and signing a petition uh, to, to, uh, to get rid of the name change. I mean, if, an, if that many people in an indie ball market are that upset about it, there's something else going on there. And clearly that whatever they were trying to do as far as repairing relations with the community, the community has not moved. And that's, uh, and the only, and the only way that you're really going to see the repercussions of that are when baseball season starts. And that, that's going to be the thing we have to watch. Yeah, no, I I definitely think that obviously the the only point that I kind of disagree with is just that the there's other the revenue streams, but the fan attendance, the actual fan based revenue is by far probably the largest between your attendance, your actual like game day sales, things like that. Obviously, though, you know, selling those outfield wall advertisements, selling the between inning advertisements, things like that. Those are big money ones, too. You know, you're picking up tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands, in some cases, dollars for the year. 
uh, with them, depending on what exactly it is you're selling and how much of it you are moving. Um, but either way, you know, the fan revenue is extremely important. If you don't have any attendance, it's, you know, all gate driven for this league. So if you don't have that gate revenue, it's not going to end up going well for you. But I, I would agree that I'm kind of surprised that we didn't get more of a clear cut. We're going to do a rebrand or at least we're considering changing things up, refreshing at least publicly. Yeah. Publicly. And that we didn't get an announcement like that or like give it one of those. Hey, if we were to do this, what be your, what kind of direction do you want trended? I mean, like, let's also not pretend for a second, like the legends brand, like at first, if we were to go back to when the legends first started and you were to be told, yeah, we're going to name a baseball team, the Lexington legends. Like, what would our reaction genuinely be to, right? Like, would we be like, oh, well, that's just such a great name. I love the alliteration. Everything about it sounds good. Or would we go, that's kind of presumptuous, you know, like, you're kind of putting the target on your back. They're like, oh, we're legends, and you haven't even taken the field yet. And, like, that seems kind of like, uh, oh, I guess I'll use the word dated, for lack of a better term, on the on the spot, but back from the how i met your mother area era where everyone kept running around with the barney stinson legendary thing you know it, Fair, it, yeah yeah it, we'd kind of we'd mock them a little bit for that where it's just like what what the hell kind of name is legends but you know again i would also agree that you probably don't have as many upset people if you at least consult the community on it and in the grand scheme of things I think you kind of have to expect that a rebrand is going to go poorly, right? Like, no one's ever going to really be thrilled about it. And the people that love the name probably aren't going to be as vocal as people that hate the name. But I would agree, though, more community input would have been nice. And one thing is for certain, it's no jackalopes. No jackalopes. Hey, the, every most rebrands are... Poorly received at first, but not the freaking jackalopes. No, nah, the the jackalopes and the yard goats were like the only two rebrands where people said, "You know what? This is good. This is a positive." Right. Exactly. But I suppose after talking about this for nearly a half hour, we probably should move on to the other things we have to do today. On that note, we will move on to the Atlantic League Silver Anniversary Team. That is, of course, assuming you had nothing else left to say about uh, about the Legends rebrand, right? I think we've talked to it. I think we've covered it all. All right. Just want to make sure before we moved on to uh, the silver team of the Atlantic League, which is uh, gotten their sixth member. And I got to applaud you, Atlantic League. You announced this not 25 minutes after we finished recording last week. You know, if you would have just done that like 45 minutes earlier, we could have finished up our whole American Association thing, recorded this nice little bit about this particular player, slapped it on and talked about him alongside of some of the other guys. I believe last week we talked about Lincoln Michelson. Um, and this week we get to talk about a Long Island Duck legend who I didn't realize played for Somerset for a year, but apparently did. And that is Ray Navarrete. Uh, he becomes the sixth member of the Atlantic League Silver Team. The 2009 Player of the Year was also a four-time postseason All-Star, only one of two players 
to have such an honor, a three-time Atlantic League champion, the single-season doubles record holder with 50 in one year, a five-time All-Star, and the all-time leader in doubles, extra base hits, second all-time in RBIs, and third all-time in home runs and games played. Nine seasons in the Atlantic League and independently baseball as a whole from 05 to 2013, eight in Long Island, one in Somerset. That one was his first year in 2005. Final accumulation of stats. Going to mention these because he is the all-time leader in a handful of these categories. Uh, he played 939 games. He managed 1,031 hits. Six hundred or two hundred and sixty-four doubles, nine triples, one hundred and forty-three home runs, five hundred and seventy-eight RBIs, a slash line of two eighty-four, three sixty-five, seven or four seventy-nine, and a grand total of four hundred and sixteen extra base hits. He'll join Glenn Murray and Jeff Nettles as the lone three batters on the team, and he'll join Lincoln Michelson, Tim Kaine, Mike Ifoil. And the previously mentioned Glenn Murray and Jeff Nettles also as members of the Silver Anniversary team. Uh, yeah. So I look forward to having another one to talk about next week after they announce him in uh, about two hours from now when we're done recording. So good yeah, exactly. on them for that. Nick, you, you almost got the pronunciation. I knew I was going to mess it up. I told you before we got on. I'm tired. Uh, cl- you got off to a great start. Great yeah. start. And then you blew it at the end. Let me guess. It's Navarrete and not Navarrete. It Correct. All right. That's, that's you know, I couldn't tell. And I was like, I forget what we said before we jumped on. And then I was like, screw it. Just go with one of them. It doesn't really matter. Yeah. But one thing that one thing that does matter is Ray Navarrete's a really good player. Yeah. Uh, and probably the best Long Island Duck in uh, in franchise history when it comes to cumulative numbers and stats or I mean him and Lou Ford are the, the top two really. yeah. uh, so I think that I mean yeah Navarrete is just uh, just one of the best hitters that I think this league has ever seen I've, and you know being the career leader in doubles extra base hits second in RBIs third in home runs I uh, I think speaks enough for for itself. But yeah, Navarrete had so many, so many huge moments. To be honest with you, I actually did not know he broke in with Somerset either. Yeah. I didn't know that till today. Um, but uh, I, I didn't. Yeah, I didn't know he originally started with with Somerset. But uh, but I tell you, he he had he had an unbelievable career. Was such a great hitter and a complete complete no brainer to put on this team. Um, a as as no brainer as much of a no brainer as you could as you can see it, you know. I mean, a lot of these have been no brainers so far, but I think that uh, I'm interested to see, you know, as we kind of continue to work down the roster, if there's any surprises. But Navarrete certainly not a surprise. Uh, un- unbelievable career, uh, so still well loved uh, within the Ducks organization. So many huge moments there as well. Uh, but I think, yeah, N- Navarrete, complete no-brainer, just an unbelievable player, and so glad that he got his honors because he deserves it. Yeah, I'd agree with that, too. I-, I think he definitely deserves it. I didn't realize 
you know, how consistent he was until last night when I was putting together all the notes and I looked at his stats and like, yeah, he has the one, you know, MVP year in 09, but I never really kind of realized how consistent he was. There was never really like an eye-popping number, but there was never really a bad season either. And that kind of model of consistent you see in the whole aggregate where you're averaging over a hit a game, you're averaging essentially an extra base hit every two games. So you really start to get an appreciation for just how consistent of a player he was. And he certainly, you know, like you said, on that Mount Rushmore of Ducks, and he is one of the better hitters that this league has seen. Maybe not one of the first that comes to mind for some people. Probably not one of the first that comes to mind for newer fans of the league, but certainly a uh, fantastic hitter in their own right. And really, he's one of the, the first Ducks on this list. I know Kane for a short period of time was a Long Island Duck, but the rest of them really aren't, you know? So, yeah, I, it's kind of surprising we took this long to get here. Obviously, though, we're going to get, uh, I think, a few more Ducks on this list, too, but uh, a, a great yeah, addition. Yeah, we'll definitely this. have a few. Yeah, yeah. We'll ha- definitely have a few more. Like, we know we're going to get uh, Loop 4. That's a given. Um, I kind of also assume we're going to have Daryl Thompson on this list, although he's a blue crab, not a duck. So... Uh, yeah, I'm very curious to see who else got on there. You mentioned if there's going to be any surprises. I, I know early when we first discussed this, you know, I, I said, I want to not see any kind of like rich hill ties where it's like you spent half a year in this league, but they keep publicizing you. I, and I stand by that, but I would like to see kind of like one or two kind of wild card ones where it's like, Ooh, okay. I was like, to see them on there. Like, I wouldn't mind seeing that. Maybe that's, you know, trying to have it both ways. But in any case, I, I'd still like to see it. But, uh, yeah. So, uh, yeah. On, on that note, uh, we got staffing news we got to get to. And then we have our Pioneer League North review that we have to get to as well. Uh, in the staffing news, we're going to work our way up from least important to most important. And then we'll be on to the Pioneer League after that. Uh, Wild Things, they have hired Ryan Whithorn as their new bench coach. He's going to replace Aaron Eggleston, who left to go to the Atlantic League's Frederick Club. Uh, so they have that replacement. He's going to work with the infielders and uh, the hitters primarily. And he's also going to coach first base. Whithorn, of course, he's also an assistant coach at Chafee College out in Rancho Cucamonga, California. It looks like Chafee is essentially a community college. That's the best I could get on it, but I don't really know for certain there. He spent a little bit of time in Missoula last year as kind of an assistant coach, and he also got in a game as well when they got desperate. He's a former collegiate ball player too, so you know that does make sense. Uh, I believe it's from Williamette up in Salem, Oregon. So it's kind of surprising he didn't wind up, you know, saying, oh, let me give it a year or two to try and, you know, figure out how to play. He could have played for the uh, the Maverick League. It's right there in Salem anyway, right? I, you, you know, I was I, I was going to bring it up that we love Salem, Oregon on the show. Yeah, we're, we're big fans of the Maverick League because someone has to be. And uh, it, he could have been a Ma- Someone has to be. He could have been a Maverick. He could have been a Volcano. He could have been... Whatever the other two are, you know, he could have been anyone of the four. Um, but even still, uh, instead he opted to go, uh, be a assistant coach on Michael Schlatt's staff, which, you know, is probably a good decision. We had Michael on once and he was very nice to talk to and 
He seems like he's pretty good at his job, seeing as in two years in Missoula, he has nearly, uh, nearly 180 wins. So that, that's pretty good, I think. Um, yeah, pretty good, you could say. Yeah, I, I would say so. A 66 win season and a 60, what, nine win season? We're going to talk about the battle heads, uh, in like Hello? 15 minutes, but either way, uh, the point remains, Missoula good. Good staff to be on if you want to kind of learn the ropes. He seems to be fairly young. I think he's about 25. I couldn't find an exact age. But, um, yeah, he seemed to be about that old. So, uh, any real strong opinions on this one? No strong opinions, but seems like a, seems like a solid hire, at least on the surface. Yeah, seems fairly young. Tom Vaith is also a pretty good guy to learn from. So, I would say that's probably a solid stepping point. I'll be interested to see how long he stays in uh, Washington, PA, and I'll be interested to see how all this goes. But, uh, yeah, uh, these are all Frontier League hirings, by the way. So uh, we go to the Valley Cats, who hired uh, Jessica Guido, I believe is how it's pronounced, G-U-I-D-O, or Guido. It's one or the other. I'm going to go with Guido because that's a lot more fun. Yeah, that sounds a lot more fun, too. So I'm going to go with that, although I'm... I'm thinking it's probably Guido. I probably should have also just uh, sent a text to Matt Callahan and been like, how do you pronounce your assistant GM's last name so that way I don't sound like a jackass on air? But, you know, we're going to do the thing that's more fun and more true to this show, which is just mispronouncing it and then having someone correct me later on. So we're going to do that. Either way, she's their new assistant GM. Been with the organization since 2011, so about uh, 12 years or so now. Uh, Stars as a box office manager. Then in 2017, moved up to the ticket sales and operations manager position. And now is the assistant GM. Their last GM, our last assistant GM, rather, left to become the general manager of the Fayetteville Woodpeckers. So it does seem like this position has some upward mobility. And all in all, uh, an assistant GM is mainly in charge of sales, mainly in charge of kind of like the the side of things that are a lot less fun when you think of a GM or an assistant GM, a lot of the business end of things, a lot of the financial end of things. And it does seem like this is kind of a natural stepping point and all things considered, I think it's a pretty solid hire to, or I guess it's more of a promotion than a hiring either way, uh, to move up someone that's familiar with the organization, familiar with the area, obviously, and seem seemingly has done well judging off of attendance sales and, dealt with the shift in the pandemic of, uh, you know, affiliate to unaffiliated pretty well, I'd say. So I like it for as much as you can really like an assistant GM hiring. Yeah, I think, you know, you, you want to try and keep things in-house as much as possible when you're looking at those uh, those type of promotions. And, yeah, I mean, she's been with the team for a long time. So assistant general manager now seems to Seems to make a lot of sense, but you know, there's uh, is a lot of behind the scenes work that those that those positions try to do. But yeah, seems like a seems like a good good promotion. Yeah, I, I agree with that. And on that note, we will swing over to every Valley Cat fan's favorite team, which is the Sussex County Miners, who have hired Vinny Sangiamino, I believe is what that's going to be pronounced. Sangiamino. No, but I, I don't think it's I don't think you say like e. I think it's just Sangiamino. It could be San Gimino. No, no, San Gimino. maybe. They hired Vinny as their new GM. He has no real baseball experience outside of a collegiate career at Rutgers. And he's 37. And he spent like 10 years working with uh, this, the Phoenix Center 
place that apparently tries to get young adults 21 and younger with autism jobs and then he also did some stuff with blockchain and web3 which all i know about blockchain is it's involved in crypto and that's never a vote of confidence when you're involved with anything crypto and i feel like this is also the part where like our good friend rob pinsner dms me is like okay so here's the deal with blockchain and web3 and then I learn exactly what blockchain and Web3 is because, you know, I just I get the sense he's the kind of guy that knows about that. Seeing as we had a long, in-depth conversation about 3D printing and its possible effects on my league baseball uh, not that long ago. So I feel like I'm going to get a, a DM about this. Uh, either way, uh, the dude's 37. He's only played college baseball at Rutgers and seemingly his only meaningful experience and the whole press release was more or less talking about the uh, former Rutgers baseball coach Fred Hill who has since passed so um I don't really know what to make of this one I gotta be honest it does if I'm being brutally honest it feels like a step down from Fiorello I I, it just does like I get it Justin had no experience either but he had results in the track record and he moved up to the Atlantic League. So I just, I, I don't really know what to make of this. I would have liked to at least seen a dude with, uh, you know, having worked in baseball sometime in the past decade. Look, I think that, uh, that, yeah, you're right. There's not a lot of wow experience on the resume. Um, I do appreciate the Rutgers talk, though. Yeah. Uh, I, I, that, that always makes me happy. I, you know, Fred Hill, Fred Hill's a legend. Uh, Fred Hill's an absolute legend, but I guess there's, they decided to make a whole press release about Fred Hill, which I don't know why. Which uh, wasn't even the, talking about high. Yeah. What's weird too is if you go to the bottom of that page, I call it a press release because they put it up on the website and it seemingly acts as they're introducing our new GM. And yeah, uh, it isn't actually by the team. It's actually like a feature. Or part of a feature written by it says it in the link in the show notes it, it says who it's by it's Say one of the, it. i i can't pronounce the name because i forget who wrote it it's like carl and i forget the last name and i forget who Barbady, it's probably yeah that's it that's the name it's Barbady. so it's not actually by the team it's just like the team took it in from they're like hey if you're going to talk about this we're going to put it on the website and they use that as to kind of they're like meet our new gm and that's great. I would have liked to see like a formal press release or something. It would have been nice. So that way I could at least know who the hell this guy is. Because I tried Googling. I tried researching. And I couldn't really find much outside of Played at Rutgers and that One Piece. So like I want to be yeah. a little bit more critical here. I really want to kind of get into the weeds here. But there's nothing at all that I can really go in at. Except for again like a little bit experience and I also really don't don't see what the hell the relevance of blockchain and web three is when running a minor league baseball team in Sussex County, New Jersey. Um, of course, again, I assume someone will probably tell me what the hell blockchain and web three is and their relevancy here. Um, but even still I would have liked to see, you know, more operational experience in the uh, sports entertainment sector that would have been nice and that that that's the more common i guess stepping stone uh with with these positions so it's interesting but you know um at least on the surface and you're right no press release is kind of odd yeah i'd like to know more about him um but 
you know, I, I think that there's a lot of time to try to prove someone uh, to prove everybody right, and it's, he's young and stuff like that. But uh, but yeah, definitely, at least the resume is a little bit light, I guess, for what I was expecting here. But I guess we'll see. Yeah, at least the resume that we know. So we'll see where this goes. But any event. We got a Pioneer League North review to get to. If you want to go back and listen to our full thoughts on the Pioneer League uh, and the ones that we're really reacting to, it is episode 168. So you can go listen to that either now and then come back to this, or you can wait until you're done listening to this and go over to that episode there. Uh, any case, we got five teams to go over. This is actually probably going to be fairly quick because... Uh, let me tell you this, it only took about 10 minutes to listen to all of all the review that we're going to do. I'm not going to lie to you. We went through the Pioneer League very quick uh, back in April and May when we first previewed them. So uh, we'll kick it off like we do all of them. We're going to go in the same order that we started previewing them in. We're going to review them in. So uh, Billings gets us going. They were 44 and 52 and 21. They improved. In fact, you can even say it was a turnaround, 53 and 41 in 22. They made the first round, pushed uh, Missoula to the very brink, but unfortunately lost in a best of three series. So a first round exit for them. We really didn't go into too much detail on this team. We didn't go into too much detail on any of these teams, to be quite honest, uh, because we were still trying to figure it out and learn the ropes of the Pioneer League. Uh, but we were big on Riggleman being the manager of the team. We thought that was extremely interesting and could very well help the team. And it looks like it did on some level. Uh, we thought they were one of the better teams in the league, which I suppose they were. And we were big on Logan Doobie and I believe it's Tristan Peterson as kind of the leading pieces of this team. Obviously with Doobie, we were like, wasn't great in the Frontier League, but a Frontier League player should do really well in the Pioneer League. And at some level, we were right, and I think overall, we were pretty spot on about Billings. Yeah, we were, and I mean, at the end of the day, they're the second best record in the league, so they were quite good, um, and unfortunately, just ended up in the same division as Missoula, so they couldn't, you know, yeah. play each other in the championship series. Uh, sorry, second best, uh, third best record in the league, what am I saying? Can't oh. do math. Um, but, yeah, I think, as far as, and I know Riggleman's not back, uh, but I think it was uh, certainly certainly a strong year. Clearly, uh, statistically led by pitching, and the, they had the best pitching staff in the league. By, um, they had a better pitching staff than, than Missoula, and quite a bit over the over really the rest of the league, uh, who was around six. And that's kind of just in general what the what the Pioneer League is. Not even just that's not a slight as far as them as an independent league. That's just the atmosphere that they play at. The ball absolutely flies. And it's even been like that when they were an affiliated affiliated league too. The the uh, offensive numbers are severely inflated, but yeah, Billings had a terrific pitching staff, uh, really for for this league, and gave up by far the fewest amount of homers as well. Uh, so certainly led by pitching, and and hell, they were able to uh, they were able to push uh, which Missoula, which was such a good team, they were able to push them. Um, into uh, into a great series, but yeah, really really good year for for Billings. It, but and we'll see how they how that changes on under new management. Yeah, no, I'd agree with that as well. I thought Billings was not maybe not necessarily a surprise because we both were kind of high on them going into the year, uh, but they just had a misfortune playing in, in the same division as Missoula. I thought they did very well against them in the postseason. They got kind of hot late. 
So they had a really solid year, I thought. I thought overall, you know, in a regular circumstance where you don't have a, a team that wins nearly 70 games out of 96, that, you know, it would have been a perfectly good year, a very solid year. Going 12 games above 500 is always a positive thing. And the turnaround from the year prior where you were, what, eight games under 500, definitely solid. And there were certainly... Like you mentioned, the pitching was definitely a positive in this league. It just doesn't really pay to build around pitching because the ball is going to fly, like you said. And uh, generally speaking, I thought it was an overall good year for the Mustangs. I don't think there's any real complaints you could have. Definitely not a lot of complaints. It's a really solid squad. And I think any time in the Pioneer League, you can have the team right under five. That's a real, like, in relative to the league and the, the atmosphere that you're playing at. Uh, it's, it's really impressive, and I think they, they deserve a, a, a lot of credit for that. Um, and, yeah, really, really good year for them. Definitely. Uh, we move on to Glacier next. New team for 22, so they didn't play in 21. Uh, they went 39-56 and 56 in 22, obviously missing the postseason. Uh, Brant Broussard, Ryan Cash, all were guys that we really liked. Austin Steinfurt was a guy that we thought was a really cool possibility. Uh, you could really kind of build up we figured atlantically guy he could pretty well do well in the pioneer league at the very least he was all right in the empire league so why not give it a shot here team we thought maybe could be a surprise team obviously didn't quite work out that way uh, which is you know disappointing but a first year team uh attendance is more the winning goal with this kind of a club and overall you know the kalispell based program yeah I thought it was okay, not great, not terrible. By far the worst team in this, yeah, by far the worst team in this division, but even still, not terrible, I I guess. Yeah, I think ultimately the offense is kind of what what hurt them. And again, it's funny, you look at a a team slash line of, of 284, 366 on base and a 430 slugging percentage, and any other league that's like, wow. That's a that's a really friggin' good offense, uh, and in the Pioneer League, it's it's not. Yeah, um, it's Ray Navarre's career slash line, and it just wasn't yeah. good enough. Yeah, I know. It, it's it, it's very funny to look at these leagues, kind of like relative, and but that's what you have to do. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, they're definitely towards the bottom offensively, uh, and and pitching wise, third best ERA in the league uh, behind Billings and Missoula. I think that certainly deserves something. I don't think at least statistically they should have had as poor of a record as they did. Uh, so curious if there are more like very close losses in there, but I, I mean, they look like a little bit better than a, what a 39 and 56 team should be. Yeah. Again, though, like you have to also factor in that they're playing a very difficult schedule um, in that, in that division too. So, but um, you know, the pitching was quite good, but offensively, I guess compared to the rest of the league kind of struggled a little bit. Yeah. I mean, that that's just it. Like, And that's going to be the kind of thing I, I say across the board with all these teams is you're going to win through batting. Like, normally you need the pitching element of it. I feel like when you're in the Pioneer League, you almost kind of go, all right, it doesn't matter who we have pitching. 
they're going to have a bad ERA. They're going to have bad numbers because, frankly, everyone around here does just because of the nature of playing in, you know, kind of great sky country. It's just not going to work. So you just got to double in on the batting. And like you said, well, the, the numbers weren't there, even though anywhere else they'd be pretty solid. Uh, but in the Pioneer League, you just kind of need crazy video game-esque numbers at the dish to uh, really be in contention. Exactly, exactly. And that's, uh, and, and Glacier didn't have that. So that definitely put them a step below. And, you know, obviously they finished in last in the division. So uh, mm. that put them below the other teams in the, in that North division. Mm. Well, yeah, maybe they could have a nice turnaround like uh, our next team, Great Falls, did. They were 39 and 57 and 21. They turned it around and were 48 and 47 and 22. So a pretty solid turnaround. They missed the postseason. But, uh, what we said about this team was, uh, there's not a lot there. Uh, but then again, we didn't admittedly know a lot of the Pioneer League players, which anyone covering independent league baseball has that fun of trying to figure out who Pioneer League players are. But the two guys we really circled in on were Michael Deeb, we thought he was a pretty solid bat, and Montana Quigley. But more or less because Montana Quigley's name, name is exactly is fantastic, especially for the Pioneer League. I mean, they got what four teams in uh, in Montana between Missoula and uh, Glacier and Billings, and there's got to be at least one more. So you know. That's just a great name, Montana Quigley. Objectively, fantastic name. 80 great name. Uh, that said, uh, team, not great. Pretty middling. I thought they were fine, but, you know, they were they were what they were. Yeah, uh, the mediocre team for sure, but I think they also deserve a lot of credit for uh, for improving the way that they did. Yeah, uh, definitely. From, from, from the previous year, and so mediocre is definitely a step up. Uh, from what from what the Voyagers had a year ago, so uh, I think they deserve a lot of credit for that, especially in that division. But yes, yeah, st- I mean statistically, they were they were pretty mediocre on both sides of the ball, and you know that what does that turn out to? Forty eight and forty seven record. So that that it's about right. Uh, but I think the the good news is though is they're continuing to make they're they're continuing to make steps in the in the right direction. Uh, as they transition, you know, as as all these teams are to a to a full time uh, independent team, uh, but yeah, they're pretty mediocre. But hey, they're they're continuing to make steps in the right direction. Exactly, and that's really all you're looking for is just to see positive improvement. Um, that's not something that can be said about Idaho Falls, though, who also missed postseason, but they were 58 and 39 in 21. They fell to 500, uh, 48 and 48 in 22. And uh, this was a team I think we were kind of higher on. We both were talking about them as one of the better teams in this division. Uh, simply because you had a guy like a Matt Feinstein and Andrew Dunn, uh, Ramsey Romano, who went from a position player to a pitcher for a hot minute there. Alex Fishberg, guy that was with Boulders for a minute. Hunter Hinsky, who was solid in 21, still all right in 22, uh, certainly. Uh, but there was a lot to like on the team. We actually knew a lot of the names. And I think that's why we were kind of higher on them. And it felt like they should have been better than they were, but uh, this quite didn't quite have the results. No, they didn't, uh, and they definitely, you know, they definitely disappointed. Uh, pitching wasn't very good near towards the towards the bottom half of the league uh, as well. But and uh, it's funny you look at they were second in the league in one score, so oh. <clears throat> so offensively they were quite good. I mean, at the end of the day, they let they led the entire league in batting average at three twenty five. 
not a lot of power though, uh, which uh, not not a whole lot of power, uh, which I think is notable. But yeah, the pitching the pitching really hurt them. Um, and you could make the argument that they probably should have been better than a 500 team. And but you're right, the, the talent was there. Um, the talent was undoubtedly there because I, I don't remember 100%, but I, I could imagine we were talking about Billings and Idaho Falls competing for yep. the second spot. Oh, no, we, we were talking about them competing for for them being the two top teams. With them in Missoula? Yeah, no, we didn't, we didn't even mention Missoula. We, we didn't say Missoula was going to be good. What we had said, and we'll, I guess we'll blend Missoula talk into Idaho Holy Falls crap, talk. This is so long ago. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so we thought there's a lot of good returning talent, but we just didn't really have a strong feeling on them either way. And I think if I if I could just go ahead and you know kind of go down the the hole on it a little bit, I'm pretty sure our thought process was, oh. Well, they're not going to win 60 plus games again. That's kind of a fluke. You got to be really like that. And, and more importantly, we were like, all right, well, we know guys on Billings and Idaho Falls. Admittedly, it's just kind of like the upper part of the talent. So we'll go with the guys that had the upper part of the talent. And you figure push comes to shove. A former major league bench coach will probably be a decent manager on this level. I'm pretty sure that was our thought process on it. That said, uh-huh. When we got to Missoula, that was 66 and 32 and 21, wound up going 69 and 26 and 22. Uh, we were just kind of like, Schlatt's a good manager. It's a good thing he got extended, but we don't really know. And I think that if you would have went back and asked us, maybe we would have said, oh yeah, maybe they'll win the second half and get in like that. But that was not a team that we really talked about as a serious, uh, serious piece. Billings was. And Idaho Falls was. Interesting. Well, yeah. good to know. And I guess good to know that Idaho Falls definitely fell short of our. Uh, yeah, they fell short. Fell short of our expectations. So, uh, so yeah, yeah, disappointing year for them. I know it looks like they had a, a they were poor to, poor to end the season, had a bad finish. Um, but yeah, dis- disappointing, uh, disappointing year for Idaho Falls for sure. Certainly, and I guess while we're on it, thoughts on Missoula there, who uh, was essentially a tank, and Jason Newman uh, said, "Yeah, I'm here." Yeah, well, they they hit the crap out of the baseball. <laughs> I mean, that's that's the best way. Sometimes, Nick, when you, you just you, you got to make it simple and be like, "Yeah, this team hits the absolute shit out of the baseball," uh, and that is that's what they do. I mean, they slashed as a team. 324 batting average, right. 390, 392 on base. So nearly 40% of their plate appearances, they were getting on base. And a slugging percentage of 527 led the league in home runs by a wide margin. Mm-hmm. Uh, number one in the league in, in runs scored as well. Um, uh, they had the fewest strikeouts, or, or sorry, the second fewest strikeouts uh, in the league. And as the few strikeouts in the league actually... Uh, were a team that you would not expect, and that's the Rocky Mountain Vibes, who went 37 and 56. Huh. But uh, but I, I think that, uh, uh, yeah, Missoula was just a complete wagon, but you know what? It's, it, it is the way that why baseball is such a beautiful game is that you can just steamroll everybody throughout the regular season, get to the postseason, everything's in a small sample, 
and then it just it just doesn't work out for you in short a short time span in a postseason series and you end up coming back with nothing but it, it shouldn't take away from what uh what an unbelievable year that they had but you know it's uh it it's kind of crazy like you I mean you think about it, of course the dodgers are the best example of this in, the, in in major league baseball i think the Brazil and the dodgers are pretty comparable yeah uh winning percentages and, too yeah they are and so it's just it's crazy you can go 69 and 26 but you know i ended up losing in the in the championship series and uh but you know it shouldn't took away from what a dominant regular season that they had though yeah no uh definitely shouldn't and i mean you win nearly 70 games you're a pretty damn good ball club regardless of the level you're on and uh yeah it just is unfortunate that they got to the finals they lost you know, to uh, what would eventually become the Jackalopes, but at the time was the Rockies. And overall, as a team, it does, in hindsight, kind of look like, how could we possibly have not foreseen them make it the postseason? But more than that, though, uh, I think you kind of have opposite sides of the coin here, where Idaho Falls and, and Missoula were both like, okay, offense is what's going to win us these games. Let's go for offense. And on one hand, it worked. The other hand, it didn't work. Of course, with Missoula, they uh, they got some pitching support as well. So I guess the moral of the story is try to be average in pitching and then just go all in elsewhere on um, batting, and you'll probably do well. And then just hope that uh, the last six games of the year break your way. Yeah, I know. And sometimes, sometimes it's that simple. And Schumburg Boomers have figured it out. Yeah, hey, I hate yeah. I hate to keep bringing them up as the the example of getting hot at the right time, but man, they are the best example in all of like everything. Yeah, I mean they're just they're built for postseason play. They just mm-hmm. want to get there. They they almost are like, can we just skip the regular season? We're gonna find a way in. Like let let's play the important games. They're like the Syracuse Orange when like not not including these past couple of years, but like, <laughs> not including the last decade of the Jim Beheim era. No, 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 not the last decade. I'm talking like the last like two years. Like they'd be like Syracuse. Like they they kind of are average to mediocre during the regular season. They they get in. They they squeak in like as a bubble team. Maybe you have to play in the first. Maybe you have to play in the first four, um, and then boom, postseason time. Wow, they're in the Sweet 16. Wow, they're in the Final Four. Amazing. It really is. It really is. And we're going to do a little college basketball talk in a second once we wrap this up. But uh, it, it is very much like that when it comes to Schomburg. And funny enough, orange is their primary color, too. Maybe it's a theme it? of color. Probably a theme Must of be. color. Yeah. But uh, yeah, in any case, uh, last little bit, the only predictions we had. Uh, I will kind of give you a preview to next week when we do our last of the league uh, reviews, which will be the Pioneer League South. We're both taking Ogden in that one, by the way. But, Will, you were split between Billings and Idaho Falls, between which one you're going to take to make the finals in this uh, in this division, but you wound up going with Billings. So, by far the closest to being right out of everyone, because you have two playoff teams of the four. And you almost were pretty right on this actually because if that last game breaks a little bit differently uh billings makes the finals i had idaho falls and ogden and i had idaho falls winning everything uh so that's just about all we have on the pioneer league north yeah well i guess not exactly how i drew it up but i guess i was i was close yeah, yeah. 
better than I was. So, on that note, that does it for us this week. That's all the news we have. That's all the reviews we have. We have, like I said, the Pioneer Lake South to do next week. Uh, we'll have news for you next week. But until then, we got to go to the plugs and then we'll get out of here. If you want to follow the show, you can do so on Twitter at IndieBallPod. You can do so on Instagram at ALPB underscore news and at IndieBallReport. Uh, you can also find everything that we talked about today, all the links and everything in our show notes on the website, neatballreport.com. Uh, articles also go up there occasionally as well as every single episode. So be sure to check that out. And you can find the show wherever you find podcasts, tune in, Stitcher, Spotify, Podomatic, Google Podcast. Uh, you guys know the whole thing. You know, wherever you find podcasts, the show is there. So rate, review, subscribe. Uh, that said, do we have anything else left to add? So, I'm gonna I'm gonna leave what you're gonna say to you. Yeah. I know what you're gonna say. I I, I want to give you the floor for that. Um, I will I will say, uh, of course, if you're a college hoops fan, Jim Beheim retired uh, after lost they lost in the ACC tournament to to Wake Forest. Another terrible year for Syracuse. I will say, I think I've I've said very passionately on this show that it is time for Jim Beheim to retire. Uh, he was definitely overstayed for by, by a few years, I would say. And especially I thought that when, you know, Buddy Beheim and uh, Jimmy Beheim were out, I, I was kind of assuming like, all right, that'd be the perfect time for Beheim to announce his retirement. Definitely stayed a year or two too long. Pretty sure that like he didn't totally retire, kind of got forced out a little bit but regardless However, though, on the positive side, obviously, Jim Behan made Syracuse basketball and uh, made it what it is, made it into the, the, into the uh, program with the prestige that it has. So definitely big thank you to Jim Behan because he had an unbelievable uh, coaching career. And I'm not going to let the end of it, I'm not going to let the last two or three years sour the first 44. Just an unbelievable coaching career. And very excited for the Adrian Autry era, and uh, I'm I'm ready for something new. I'm ready for, I, I'm ready for something new. I'm excited. Uh, Autry certainly a deserving candidate to take the reins. So uh, I'm really excited to see what he does as well, um, and to see to see what Syracuse basketball uh, turns into, and hopefully it ends up. Uh, hopefully the transition ends up a lot a lot closer to Duke than uh, North Carolina. Oh, well, I don't love having another team in the ACC figure it all out. It was kind of nice not having to worry about Syracuse for about seven years. It was very nice. Uh, but that said, congrats to Syracuse basketball for finally being freed of someone that uh, refused to buy a team, in his own words. So, uh, good for Bayhaw. True, true. That being said, I, I, I can't wait any longer. I got to take my victory lap here because, Do it. you know... What fun is it to not do it? So, you know, John Rothstein, if you're a college basketball fan, you know who he is. He's just like lives, breathes, and does everything college basketball. On uh, April 23rd of 2022 at 4.34 p.m. said, R.J. Davis is returning to North Carolina next season per his Twitter page. If Caleb Love does the same, which he did, the 2023 national title will go through Chapel Hill. Well, maybe the National Invitational Tournament title is going to go through there because it sure as hell ain't going to wind up being the actual national championship. You get an extra home game. Yeah. Like, look, they're playing for the money. 
And what was great for me was watching part of that Hubert Davis press conference because that's a man that's just defeated. It really is. And I got to really applaud the the Duke base because after Virginia beat UNC last night to essentially kill their there are any thin hopes of making the tournament, which Duke pretty much did on Saturday, which was so much fun to watch. Uh, but they put out a shirt, and it's on the on my personal Twitter if you want to go look at it. This is proudly sending UNC to the NIT. March sadness awaits, and has the two final scores from both games: sixty-two fifty-seven and sixty-three fifty-seven, with the Duke pitchfork on it. So I, I just. It's so much fun watching UNC lose. And they just, they were just pathetic, really. And it looks like they're not even going to accept the NIT bid, which is horrible. Because as I tweeted, horrible. I said, horrible. I was looking forward to Speedy Claxton and Hofstra men's basketball beating them like a drum. (laughs) I mean, this is just disappointing. I was really hoping, because in my beautiful sense, I was like, that would be beautiful is if Hofstra beats like UNC and Seton Hall en route to winning the NIT. That's perfectly acceptable in my mind. I, I'd love that scenario. I agree. I agree. I mean, Will, I, I know you agree. I mean, you'd you'd love to see them win the NIT and go, well, that's a very good season. And honestly, for mid-major programs, it would be a fantastic season. It'd be great for a mm-hmm. mid-tier program like UNC, too, to win a couple rounds in the NIT because we yeah. know that's all they're doing. Uh, program building, maybe. <laughs> exactly. They got to. I mean... When you lose a cornerstone piece like Brady Manic, you know, how can you expect to have that kind of success? And what's what was so much fun watching these two was we're just watching Leaky Black throw up wide open threes. And you can see the Duke defensive plan was like, I right, keep shooting them. Yeah, if Leaky, you're, Leaky Black, man. Dude, that he cannot shoot. He cannot hit the broad side of the barn. Like that was the amazing part. And that's why, like the final four game last year, we were like he makes the contested ones, but he misses the open ones. That's why we were annoyed. And it's like, all right, it just proves what all the Duke people were saying last year. But we were told, oh, we're being sore losers. It's sour grapes. We were right. It was just an insanity run. They got hot at the right time. Applause to them. You know, I give them congratulations. They were good until the halftime of the national championship game, in which case then they became the uh, the program to blow the largest halftime lead in the national championship game. And Wait, now that did, look- you, did you see what Armando Baycott said post-game, though? Oh, no, I did not. What did he say? So he was – the question from the reporter was, how do you – I think that was a pretty fair and good question. He yeah. said, like, do you think you guys struggled dealing with the expectations of being the preseason – number one team and you do you think that do you think that was a big reason the season was the way it did and Bakov gave the most uh, and i actually i'll give him a lot of respect for this he gave a really honest response yeah and he goes he goes well to be honest with you those those expectations just come from y'all uh i guess we just weren't that good (laughs) (laughs) go look up the video he said it Fantastic. You know, we just weren't that good. Like, I I do respect right. that on some level. He's right, though. Yeah. But, man, I love this. See, you know, I was told that they're going to be a senior leadership core, and that's why they're going to be a threat this year. You know, these UNC guys, they're just not used to having expectations on them. They, they can't handle it under the lights. 
You know, if they went down the road to Duke where you're expected to win, like that's just, it's been the expectation. There's like a 10 year block in our history where there wasn't as high of expectation. But outside of that, since like the sixties, we've kind of been expected to perform and make the tournament. And that's when there was like 12 teams making a tournament. So like, man, I love that answer though. You gave us the expectations. We just weren't that good. Yeah. God. So, see, the problem is, being slanted and biased on this, I would have really had to fight the urge to ask the follow question. So what you're saying is, uh, you guys were like the classes you take. They existed only on paper, but in reality, they they weren't there. What is it, Swahili? That the class that like, all the athletes take Swahili? It's something like that. I know they all wound up going with general studies or some That's crap right. like yeah. that. And it's like, okay, these are paper classes. Mm-hmm. Oh, God. But yeah, that is fantastic. I love that answer. We weren't that good. Yeah. Oh, God. But yeah, I'm taking my victory lap. Uh, go to hell, Carolina. Yeah. So that is your college basketball talk for the week. It's going to continue throughout the month, although I will admit next week I'm probably going to talk college hockey because we're closing it on Frozen Four time. But uh, yeah, so that's all we got. And uh, until next time, I guess don't forget to play ball.